morning, everybody. Reading from the book of Daniel, from chapter 1. And I'm going to be reading the first eight verses. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men, without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed and quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, to Daniel the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to, to defile himself in this way. Amen. As I said earlier on, we've got Matt Kadek, who's from Consciously Baptist, sharing from God's word for us. Um, Matt is a good friend, and he's a partner in the gospel, and has done a great job at Consciously. And we've been reading the Bible together as churches for the last two years, and we're very grateful for your ministry, Matt. So go for it. God bless you. you. Shall I pray for you? Father God, thank you for this man. Thank you for your call. Thank you for the way that you have equipped him. Thank you for the way that you have led him, Lord, to share with us today. And I just pray that, Holy Spirit, you'll um, guide him, prompt him. And, Holy Spirit, would you allow for our hearts, Lord, to be ready to receive from your word and to be found faithful at doing it. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Amazing. Hi. Um, thanks so much for having me. Um, I know you probably didn't get a, a choice, uh, but um, it is great to be with you nonetheless. Um, yeah, as Mackie said, uh, my name is Matt, and I am uh, from south of the river, from Counterslip. And um, yeah, um, we, we love just being part of, of God's family in this city and seeing what God is doing. And it's been great just to walk with Mackie and Ruth a little bit as well and hear stories about what God is doing here. And um, yeah, I, um, I love that we are reading through the Bible together, that we are reading the same as what you guys are reading. And across the city, God is moving as his people are reading his word. I don't know if you've discovered it, but I've been amazed uh, as how we've been reading the Bible. God's just been speaking through his word. It has been so relevant to what has been going on in our community and what God's been doing. And, and I hope and pray that's been the same for you as well. Um, who, who enjoyed Thessalonians? 
Who read Thessalonians? Just right. Come on, Mackie. Yeah. So yeah, Thessalonians. I, I I don't know about you, but I love that we went from Thessalonians into Daniel. And the reason I love that is because when Paul is writing to the church there at the Thessalonians, he he says to them, like, you are living in the midst of a culture that is counter to the way that you are living. You are living as followers of Jesus, and you're living a new and a different way. And he's saying to them, be bold, keep going, let your love for one another increase more and more that your faith and your hope in Jesus is being heard all all around the world and he's encouraging them to hold on and to stand firm in the midst of of a culture that's actually quite against them in the way that they're living and then suddenly now we're back in the Old Testament and we're in Daniel and I feel like if Daniel was part of the church of the New Testament he'd be part of the church in in Thessalonica okay because he also is like those guys He's, he's a guy that is hanging on to hope and hanging on to faith in the midst of a culture that is seemingly against the culture which is natural for him, which is the one of his God and his faith. And uh, I, I love that we've read these two because 2,000 years ago, this is what was going on for the Thessalonians. And hundreds of years before that, this is what was going on for Daniel. And I think that we live in the same sort of uh, culture or mix of cultures uh, in different ways, but in, in the same way as Daniel and as the Thessalonians and now today. I think that we live as the church of Jesus here in this city, in, in the modern Western world, we live in the midst of a culture that is quite often against the ways of Jesus and against the culture of the kingdom of heaven. Um, and uh, I, I want to explain to you a little bit about what I mean, just using some of the stuff from Daniel chapter one. And then what I want to do is I want to just unpack for you guys why I think that actually that's an amazing opportunity for us. Is that okay? Yeah. All right. Great. So, so I think that we live in the midst of a culture that is very kind of counter to the culture of the kingdom of heaven. In some ways, you might say we live in the midst of a culture of captivity. And you might think, well, that's weird, Matt, because I don't feel like we're captive. But let me pull out four things from Daniel that happen when a culture of captivity comes upon the people of God. So the first thing is this. You'll notice as you read through Daniel chapter one, as Ruth read it to us then, if you didn't read it in the week, you'll notice that the first thing that happens is King Nebuchadnezzar comes in and he conquers Jerusalem and he carries off into captivity uh, some of the the, the, the handsome, uh, I like to say to my church, I think I would have been part of this group, who got carried off into captivity. But then I read the next line and it says that they were wise and they were well learned. And I'm like, well, maybe I wouldn't be in that group. But, uh, but they, he carried off these people. He, he took these people from Jerusalem, the, the, the nobles, the wise men, the handsome men, the, the people of nobility, and carried them off into captivity and repurposed them. Over in Jerusalem, Jerusalem, they were there to serve God. They were there to live as the people of God. And then they got carried off to serve the king of Babylon. Do you notice he carried off something else as well? He carried off articles of gold and silver from the temple. He took these articles of gold and silver, carried them off, and put them in the, in the temple of his God, in the treasury of his God in Babylon. The first thing that happens is this. When the culture of captivity comes upon us, things get taken and repurposed. Things get taken and repurposed. They get used for something else. Things of value. These people were people of value. These articles were articles of value. They got taken and repurposed for something else. I'm going to come back to that in a little bit, but just hold on to that one. That's the first thing. The the second thing is, is this. 
When these people get carried off into captivity, they get taught a new language and a new literature. A new language and a, and a new literature. Um, I studied at really, really low level, studied some, uh, some psychology when I was in college. Anybody study psychology? Some of you? Great. Okay, amazing. Please don't tell anyone if I'm wrong, okay? <laughs> but, but I studied some, some really basic psychology when I was in college, and, um, and I discovered that, that one, of the, the, um, one of the kind of um, uh, key schools of thought within psychology is that language is the construct of thought. Have you come across that before? Language is the construct of thought. So what that means is that words shape the way we think. Are you with me? They become the framework that we hang our thinking on. So if you want to change the way that someone thinks, what do you do? You give them a new language, a new literature, a new way of speaking, which gives them a new way of thinking. Okay, And I think that that happens today. I think that, that the world around us has taken the language of the Bible, the language of Christianity, the language of Jesus, and it has reshaped it and given us a new language and a new literature. It's taken the words and given them new meaning so that we think differently about the things of God in a new way. Let me give you one example. We, we could do loads. But take the word love. The word love. Okay? Now, we could go off on all kinds of, of, of trails with this, and, and I'm not going to. I'm going to pick one example. Okay? The word love. I think that... The world has taken the word love, which is, which is a word that's all about God, because the Bible tells us what? It tells us that God is love. He is love. He's the very definition of love. But the world has taken this word, and, and it has thrown all of its marketing and its Valentine's Day budget at it, and it's completely just changed the way we think about this word, and it's become something completely different. Um, let me give you an example that I think is relevant for many of us in the church, and that's to do with uh, within Christian marriage. Uh, as a pastor, I've heard people say this to me a number of times. Matt, I've just fallen out of love with my husband or my wife. I just don't love them anymore. I've fallen out of love. And what they mean is this. They mean that fire, that passion, that sexual desire that I had for them, it, it seems to have faded it seems to have faded. And, and you know what? Sometimes that happens. That, that does happen. But let me tell you this. That's not falling out of love. That's not falling out of love. You see, that understanding of love is all about me. It's all about self. It's all about what I get, what I want, what I feel, what I need. The biblical word love, okay, which talks about God is the word agape. And it is not about feelings. It is not about selfishness. It is not about what I want or what I get or what I need. The word love in the scriptures is all about choosing another. The word love in the Bible, it means this. It means to daily choose somebody else over yourself, to put them first. It's got nothing to do with how you feel. It's got to do with a daily decision to put that person first. That's why when we enter the covenant of marriage, when, when we, we enter in this Christian covenant, we make these vows. They, they say for better or for worse, in richness or in poor, uh, in sickness and in health. We choose each other each other. We daily choose each other. It's not about how I feel that day. It's about the fact that I will choose you no matter what I feel. Are you with me? That's biblical Christian love. 
That's the covenant of love that the Bible talks about. It's got nothing to do with my feelings or my sexual desires or my passions that burn within me. But the world would have us believe that love is all about emotion. It's all about feeling. It's all about desire. But that's not what the Bible teaches. You see, the world has taken this Christian word, this Christian school of thought, this thing that is about God and has made it about something else. And do you know what? The church has bought into it, hook, line, and sinker. That is, that is just not what the Bible teaches. And because of that, Christian marriages are falling apart because we've made them about something that has got nothing to do with biblical love. Okay, so new language and new literature. That's the second thing that happens. Are are you with me? Yeah, great. Some nodding going on. Okay, the third thing is this. They get dragged off into Babylon, and the king offers them food and wine from the king's table. This is not just any food. This is M&S food, okay? This is the king's food. He gets offered to them. And captivity, a culture of captivity, will offer provision for you that is seemingly better than what you had before. They want you to buy into this new culture, this new way of thinking, this new new way of living. And so they'll dangle the carrot in front of you that says, this is better than what you had before. If you live our way, if you do it like this, if you enter our culture, we'll give you all of this. Don't you want these things? Don't you want these things? But if you keep reading in Daniel chapter 1, what you discover is that what the king is offering from his table is not as good as what Daniel had before. You see, Daniel, he refuses to have what is on the king's table. And he says, hey, just give me vegetables and water. And so the guy who's in charge of giving out the food, he's like, oh, I I don't really know if I should be doing this. I'm worried about what the king is going to say if I don't give you what the king wants to give you. And he says, look, test me for 10 days. Give me vegetables and water, and at the end of those 10 days, you compare me to the rest of the men. You see who is more switched on, who is more engaged, who is more healthy. And so the guy says, okay. So they do this 10-day test. All right, And at the end of the 10 days, guess who's more switched on? Guess who is more engaged? Guess who's more healthy? Daniel. Daniel is. So the food and wine from the king's table is not all that it's cracked up to be. Actually, the vegetables and water that Daniel knows is what he should eat is better for him and has a better impact upon him. And um, what happens next is that the rest of the men absolutely hate Daniel because the guy who's responsible for dishing out the food changes all of their diets and they all get switched to vegetable and vegetables and water. I would not have wanted to have been him in that moment. Choosing the right thing is not always the easiest thing, is it? But it was the right thing and it was the best thing. See, when we get this culture of captivity, sometimes they'll offer something that looks better. Can can I give you an example? I think one of the things that the world around us offers us now that says, hey, what we offer is better than what you had before is freedom. Freedom. The world says, hey, come and live our way and embrace the freedom from our table. The freedom where you can be who you want, do what you want, have what you want, go where you want. The freedom to do anything. But do you, do you know what? That's not biblical freedom. You see, biblical freedom is not the freedom to do anything you want. Being free in Christ is not the freedom to have anything you want. Being free in Christ is being free from sin and ultimately free from death. That sounds much better to me. Being free from death, having life. That's the vegetables and water freedom 
that ultimately is going to make me more switched on, more engaged, and much healthier, and I live a better life than if I take this other freedom that's being offered to me from the table of the king of this this culture of captivity. Are you, are you with me? Yeah? Freedom. Okay, so one, uh, things of value get taken and repurposed. Two, new language and literature. literature. Three, uh, offer of provision that is seemingly better but ultimately is not. And fourth, the final thing that happens in Daniel uh, around this culture of captivity is this. They get given new names and new identities. New names and new identities. Uh, To Daniel, he gets the name Belteshazzar. And then we get his friends who get their names changed to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The world wants to give us a new name, a new identity. Be someone different. Don't be who you were before. Come and take the identity that, that we offer. But do you know what I find amazing about the book of Daniel? Is that as you read through the book of Daniel, what, what you discover is that the Bible never changes Daniel's name. Every time Daniel gets mentioned, it keeps calling Daniel, Daniel. Because God knows who this man is. And so the Bible, the word of God, keeps speaking Daniel's name again and again and again. If you want to know who you really are, if you want to know what your identity really is, then guys, this is where you find it. In the word of God. In the one who spoke you into being. In the one who knows every hair on your head. The one who dreamt you up and brought you into creation. This is where you get your identity from, from him, from him. I don't know if you spotted this, uh, but in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9, there was this weird verse that said that when lawlessness comes, it will uh, come in accordance with how Satan works. Did you, did you spot that when you were reading it? When lawlessness comes, it will come in accordance with how Satan works. What a weird verse. But you know, it it got me thinking, how does Satan work? How does Satan work? And what's his pattern? And I was thinking, I wonder if there's something going on here in Daniel chapter 1 that follows the pattern of the way that Satan works. And you know what I've come to realize? Is that Satan is stupid. He's stupid. Because he does the same thing over and over and over and over again. And church, we need to wise up to that. And we need to start to recognize the pattern of what Satan does over and over and over and over again. And we need to reject that and live a different way. Let me tell you what I mean. Cast your mind back to Genesis chapter 3. The first time we hear about this serpent, this Satan, this character of evil that comes into the story of the Bible. And in Genesis chapter 3... Four things happen. Four things happen. The first thing is this. You see, the serpent, he gets hold of Adam and Eve, and they are these things of value. They are the tselem is the Hebrew word. Tselem, they are the image of the living God. And he gets hold of these things of value, these images of the living God, these statues of the living God that are in the cosmic temple that God has created within creation. And, and they, they're there and he gets hold of them and his desire is to take them and repurpose them. Do you see that? Satan wants to take Adam and Eve, the images of the living God, these things of value and repurpose them. That's the first thing he does. The second thing that he does is this. He offers them a new language and a new literature. He says to them, Hey, guys, 
Did God really say? Did God really say? And he starts to confuse their thinking. He starts to throw other things out there. And he gets them so mixed up that when Eve responds and says, well, no, no, no. God said that we couldn't take the fruit of this tree and that we couldn't touch it or we would surely die. And it's like, did God say that? No. But he's so thrown their thinking that they are confused even about what God told them in the first place. How often is the church today just confused about what God has told it in the first place because we're listening too much to the world and not enough to the word of God. So that's the second thing he does. He gives them new language and new literature. The third thing that he does is this. He offers them provision that is seemingly better than what they had at first. Hey, come on, look at this fruit. Doesn't it look good? Don't you want some of this? If you have this, wow, it's so much better than what you've had before. He offers them provision that is seemingly better. But what do we know about this fruit? If they take this fruit, they will surely die. Is that better? No. What's the fourth thing that he does? The fourth thing he does is he offers them a new name or a new identity. He says, hey, if you take this fruit, then you can be like God. You can be like God. You can be better than you are. You can be something else. You see, back in Genesis Satan, his way was to take something of value and repurpose it, to give a new language and a new literature, to offer provision that was seemingly better than what they had before, and to give them a new identity. Oh, fast forward to Daniel. And what's he doing again? The same four things. And do you know what, guys? He's doing the same today. He's doing the same today. He's trying to take things of value. You, me, the human beings that God so loves that he's placed in this world that he made in his image. And he's trying to repurpose them for the kingdom of darkness. He's offering new language and new literature, a new way of thinking that is contrary to the word of God. He's offering provision that is seemingly better than before. You could take this and have it. It's so much better. And he's offering new names and new identities. Be something different. Be better than what you were before, when actually what you were before was made in the image of God. Wow. What could be better than that? to be those that are loved by the creator, so much so that he gave his life for them. Daniel was wise to this. Daniel was wise to this. And uh, Daniel, he knew, he saw what was going on, and he said, I, I, I don't want that. And so he, he lived distinctively. That's, that's the title that Mackie gave me for this talk, was about together with God living distinctively. And, and Daniel did that. He said, no, I'm not going to just fall into this with everybody else. I'm not just going to get sucked along with the current of the culture that is coming in with the new tide. I'm going to stand on what I know. I'm going to stand on the word of God. And it says in chapter 1, verse 8, that he didn't want to defile himself with the things from the king's table. What did it mean to defile himself? Well, if you look in the Word of God in the Old Testament, uh, in the Levitical uh, Code and the Mosaic Code, you will discover that there are certain foods that were unclean for the people of God to eat. And the chances are that some of these foods, like pork, uh, bacon, oh, so glad I'm not an Old Testament person, but some of these foods, some of these foods were unclean for the people of God to eat. And probably these were the foods that were coming off of the king's table. Stuff that they shouldn't have been eating. And he says, no, I'm, I'm not going to defile myself with that. I'm going to stand on the word of God. I'm going to be shaped by the word of God. 
And uh, I want to throw it out there for you guys today to think about this. I wonder what would happen if we as the church in this city started to stand firmly on the word of God and allowed the word of God to be the thing that shapes us and not the culture of the world. I wonder what would happen because when Daniel stands on the word of God, it isn't just that he's standing on it and saying, I'm going to be different. But he says, look at how me living differently has a positive impact upon my life. And the people around him start to notice it. So much so that the person in charge changes the culture of all of the men that Daniel is with. So that they all start to live better. You notice how Daniel didn't need to like criticize what was going on. He didn't need to like shout about it. He didn't need to get violent about it. All he had to do was say, I am absolutely confident in the word of my God. And that's how I'm going to live. I'm going to live by that. And by doing that, the impact started to change the world and the culture around him. I wonder what Bristol could be like if the people of God in this city actually started to let the word of God shape their lives. If we actually started to stand on the word of God, believing that it is far better than anything else. Now, uh, in my church, they let me preach for about 45 minutes, and apparently here that's not a thing. So uh, <laughs> you're like, praise the Lord. Uh, <laughs> uh, so um, <clears throat> I actually did a version of this talk last week in our church because we were a week ahead in our Bible reading. And, um, and I went through chapters 2, 3, and 4, and I looked at some other ways of, of distinctively living. In chapter 2, I talked about being a people of prayer. In chapter 3, I talked about being a people of faith. And in chapter 4, I talked about being a people of perseverance. And if you want to check that out, I encourage you to go and listen to the Counterslip podcast from last week. You, you can hear all about that. But what I want to do, I want to just jump to, to chapter 5, just to, to wrap up and come into land. Is that right? We're starting our descent, okay? So, uh, you know... Buckle in, put your tray tables up. Uh, here we go. So, um, so the, the main thing I want you guys to hear from today is this, that living distinctively is all about living in line with the word of God. Okay, that is, that is the foundation. If you want to live distinctively, then build your lives on the word of God. Get into the word, listen to the word, let it speak to you, let it shape you, let it be your foundation because God's word is good. God's word is good. If you look at Genesis chapter 1, when God speaks, what happens? Darkness and chaos become ordered and beautiful, and they become places where life can flourish. That's what happens when we let the word of God speak into our lives. The chaos becomes ordered. The darkness becomes light and beautiful, and life flourishes. Sometimes it's hard to read the word of God. Anyone struggle with the Bible? Great, Mackie's got his hand up. That makes me feel good. And the rest of you too, most of you, fantastic. Sometimes I do. I lead a church and I have to say to my church regularly, guys, I, I, I'm just like everybody else. And sometimes it's hard going. But do you know what? Even when I read the bits that don't make sense to me, somehow they start to shape my heart. It's not about me understanding everything, but it's about as I read it every day, somehow it's like my heart turns one degree each time I read it and it aligns me with, with heaven. And somehow heaven starts to shape my life and I want to encourage you keep pressing into the word of God because as you do that you will start living differently and the world around you will start to be impacted by that as well and you won't need to be going out and 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 protesting things and shouting out about stuff you just need to live live in line with his word and let his word which is the power for salvation start to transform you and the world around you now 
The story goes on and, and it goes on over a number of years and we get chapter two and chapter three and chapter four and all kinds of stuff happens. And we get to chapter five and Nebuchadnezzar is no longer on the throne. There's a guy called Belshazzar, not to be confused with Belteshazzar, but Belshazzar is Nebuchadnezzar's son. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar's he, Nebuchadnezzar dies at the end of chapter four, uh, or we assume he does because it just isn't anymore. Okay. But at the end of chapter four, Nebuchadnezzar's like, wow, praise the God of heaven. Like Daniel's God is amazing. But then we get into chapter five. And in chapter five, this new generation has come along and it's like they just don't know anything about the God of heaven. They just don't know anything about him. And suddenly in chapter five, um, Belshazzar gets together with his nobles and his wives and his concubines and they have this great big party and they go and get all the, the goblets of gold and silver that have been stolen from the temple in Jerusalem and they get them out, they start filling them with wine they start drinking them, they get incredibly drunk and at the end they start praising the gods of gold and silver and wood and bronze and at this point, this crazy, crazy thing happens at this point, this finger appears in, 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 the mid, in the middle of the air and it starts writing on the wall. I don't know about you, but anybody ever been like, Lord, please do that for me. I, I'd love just to, to really know that you were speaking by seeing you literally write on the wall. And I used to be like, that would be so amazing. Until recently, I reread this story again and realized that what was written on the wall was not good. And I was like, please, God, don't ever do that for me. Okay. But um, the finger starts writing on the wall and, and Belshazzar, the king, he freaks out. He hasn't got a clue what is going on. He brings in his wise men and they freak out. They haven't got a clue what is going on. They are so confused. Why are they confused? Because what is happening is something that is of the God of heaven. And you see, this generation knows nothing of the God of heaven. And so this thing starts happening and they haven't got a clue what is going on. And they're all freaking out. And you know what? We've got a generation that are growing up. And I don't just mean the young people, I actually mean people my age and probably some people that are older than me as well. I mean the generation alive today. We've got a generation that are growing up and they're biblically illiterate. What I mean by that is they don't know the word of God. They don't know the word of God. And let me tell you this. If you don't know the word of God, then you can't know God because the word of God is his primary way of revealing who he is. Without the word of God, we just invent the God we want him to be, not the God he actually is. Right? And so we need to know the word of God to know who he is, because that's where he's told us, look at me, look at who I am, look at how I do things, look at my love for you, look at my heart for you, look at my plan for you. This is where we discover who he is. If we don't know the word, we can't know him. And this generation doesn't know him and they're confused. And then suddenly in Daniel chapter five, in in verses 10 to 12, in walks the queen. Man, she must have been such an an amazing woman because she walks in and the king is there with all of his nobles and he's drunk and around him are all of his wives and his concubines. If I was his queen, I would have walked in and been like, and walked back out. But she walks in and she's like, stop freaking out. Stop freaking out. There's a man in this kingdom that used to serve your father. And he is filled with the spirit of the gods. He has wisdom. He has understanding. He, like nobody else in the kingdom. He is able to answer as if he were one of the gods. 
And so your father put him over all of the magicians, all of the wise men, all of the enchanters. There's this guy called Daniel. Bring him in because he will be able to tell you what is going on. And they bring Daniel in. And Daniel, he has to tell the king what the writing on the wall means, which uh, is not something I would want to do if you've read Daniel chapter 5. Oh, that's not a message you want to give to the king, right? But he brings that message. He brings it humbly with grace, but he brings it truthfully and in fullness. And he tells the story of how his God works in the life of Nebuchadnezzar and how now that God is speaking into the life of Belshazzar. I love that years and years and years have gone by and Daniel kept living faithfully. He kept living distinctively. He kept standing on the word of God to the point that when this next generation came in and it all went Pete Tong and they had no idea what was going on, somebody said, there's a guy that will know what's going on, a guy who's full of faith and full of wisdom. And I wonder, church, I wonder, are we that person? When everything goes Pete Tong in the world around us, have we lived so distinctively? Have we lived as a people of faith? Have we lived as a people that stand on the word of God no matter what the cost, because we know it's true and we know it's good? Have we lived as a people filled with wisdom from the word? So that when everything goes wrong in the lives of the people around us, they turn around and they go, this situation is causing us anxiety. This situation is freaking us out. This situation is breaking our lives. Why is it that you guys aren't affected by this in the same way that we are? Why is it that you're not shaken? Why is it that you've still got joy when the world seems to be falling to darkness? Why is it that you've still got peace when everything is shaking? Why is it that you've still got hope when it looks like all hope is lost? Are we that people that's been living so distinctively that we can say, yeah, that's because of our God. Because we know who he is and he's over all of this. And if you'll let us, we'd love to tell you the story of our God and the hope and the life that comes through him. I wonder if we're being a church like Daniel. I don't know about you, but that's the kind of church I want to be. That's the kind of church I want to be part of. I want to be a people like Daniel that stands so firmly on the word of God. That means we've got a message of hope for the world. It means we've got a message of peace for the world. It means that we have got a message that can transform lives and change cultures and can bring the kingdom of heaven in the midst of what is seemingly darkness. You see, when all of these cultures of captivity, when that stuff starts happening, I look and I go, do you know what? Wow, we've got an opportunity here to do something amazing. If only we live like the people of God and not get sucked into the culture of the world around us. That's not easy. That's not easy. But I believe that when we do that, God can start working through us and transforming the world that he loves, which is what he longs to do. Will you partner with him? Will you stand on his word? Will you let his word shape you so that you're a distinctive people? God says again and again in the Bible, be holy as I am holy. That word holy, it means set apart, it means distinctive. God's saying, be like me, walk in step with me, walk in line with my word 
so that you can be the image of God to the world around you and bring hope where there's no hope, light where there's no light, love where love is lost. That's what I want to do through my church. Will you be those people? I hope I haven't bored you. I hope that you feel challenged but also encouraged. I'd love to pray for you, and I think, are we going to worship? Um, can I ask you guys to stand? And worship team, if you, you want to... Uh, Yeah, gather back over there. That would be great. Father God, I thank you for the people that are standing before me today. I thank you for these people of faith, these people whose lives you have changed, these people whose lives you have brought hope to, that you have brought light to, that you have brought love to. And we know, God, that we're not the finished article. We we know that we're on a journey. But we're on a journey towards you. And God, I want to pray for this church. I want to pray for Cairns Road Baptist Church. That as it has for hundreds of years, that for hundreds of years to come, it would continue to be a beacon of light in this city. That they would be a people that stand on your word. I pray, God, that as they stand on your word, that your word would bring life to them. And that through that, life would come to those around them. I thank you, Father, that in Psalm 1, it says that those who meditate on the word of the Lord will be like trees that are planted by streams of living water that bear fruit. And today, Lord, I I prophesy that over this church, that they would be trees that are planted by streams of living water, that as they meditate on your word, as they speak out your word, that the spirit of God would be sucked up into them through their roots and that they would produce fruit fruit that would bring nourishment and life to the world around them. God, fill them afresh with your spirit. And I pray, Father, that your word would be their firm foundation in all things. This I ask in your name, Jesus. Amen.